Welcome to the Story Church Podcast. The Story Church Podcast is the official podcast of the Story Church Project, which focuses on redesigning Adventism from tradition to mission. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's Marcus here, and uh, hey, I'm super stoked to be here with you guys for another week of the Story Church podcast. Now, this week is a really special one because I'm touching on a topic that is very close to my heart. It's probably one of the things that uh, first inspired me to get into ministry to begin with, and and that is youth. I grew up in a church with lots and lots of young people, most of whom eventually walked away from God. And uh, this has always been a topic that's been of you know just big interest to me because of the question you know why do young people leave uh, or or why do they stay and what can we do to make our churches the kinds of places where young people are inspired to stay and uh and be part of the church and be part of building god's kingdom so i want to focus on that this week because i recently preached a sermon at my local church on this very topic how to stop the never-ending youth exodus and um i, I was inspired and I, I gotta do a shout out here i was inspired like so much by um, two amazing uh, youth workers, two absolutely amazing youth workers, and that is uh, Martin and Alina Van Resberg. I hope I pronounced <laughs> that's her name properly. Uh, they came out to Perth for a training session that we had, um, and Alina did some um, sermons on, on uh, Growing Young, which is a book that focuses on this theme of why young people stay in church. And they were just so mind-blowing and so inspiring that um, I bummed the PowerPoint off of her. (laughs) And then literally, I think it was the very next Sabbath, I preached it at my local church. Now, I had read the book Growing Young before, uh, but for some reason, I just didn't get as stoked about it all until I heard Alina present it. And then I was like, wow, I don't know, it just kind of hit me for some weird reason. Um, the Holy Spirit was definitely there, right? And it, and it moved me, and I was like, all right, I'm going back to my local church, and I'm preaching this. And so um, I'm uh, for today's podcast, actually, that's what it's going to be. Uh, as soon as I finish just this introduction, um, it's going to be a transition, and then it'll be the sermon that I actually preached. It was recorded, so I'm going to be sharing that with you guys this week. Uh, now, here's the thing. I really, really want to encourage you, because in this sermon, what I do is I summarize the book Growing Young. And, uh, and what I want to do is I want to invite you to get that book. If you haven't gotten that book, make sure you get it. Also, there's tons of videos on YouTube with the authors where they're talking about it. It's just great, 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 great stuff, guys. And I hope that this sermon uh, will make you say, hey, yeah, I want to go read this book. And I want to read it with my, with my leaders as well. And so we can figure out a way, you know, following some of these patterns to develop a ministry in our local church that's really, really effective at retaining our young people. So uh, definitely check that book out, guys. Now, before I go to the sermon, of course, as usual, I don't want to move on without thanking my patrons and everyone who supports and makes this project possible. You guys are absolutely amazing. Uh, I, I do this on the side, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm a full-time pastor, and I actually take time out of my time off to, to make this happen. 
And um, I, I've gotten pretty good at writing over the years. So writing isn't hard, you know, and, and doing these podcasts, you know, once I got the groove of it, it's not hard. It's not like super time consuming, but it is something I really, really enjoy. And because I do it on my time off, it's, it's, not, it's not something that I do full time, basically. And so when I have people who support the project, uh, patrons, uh, people who download the eBooks, who purchase the eBooks, who comment, who share, that really helps this project grow, guys. So if you love this project, please keep in mind that there is not a full-time team behind it making it happen, all right? There's a one guy <laughs> um, whose wife is sitting in the next room trying to read as I talk really loud into a microphone. And, uh, and I do this all my time off. And so please, you know, if, if you can't, um, if you can't be a patron, that's okay. Just, just share this stuff, right? Share it with your leaders, share it with your friends, share it with your church. And, uh, and, and let's, you know, you, you won't always agree with what I say and that's okay. I'm not infallible. Uh, you might not even like me all the time, which I suppose, um, would hurt my feelings, but you know, it's okay. Um, <laughs> But the thing is, guys, if if I can speak life into the local Adventist church uh, when it comes to reaching the secular world around us and when it comes to uh, ministering effectively to our millennial and post-millennial youth, which are very post-modern, metamodern, um, in that transitioning phase, uh, I, I just want to be a voice in that conversation. And I hope that, you know, what I say is meaningful and that you derive something meaningful from it. And I know that you do because I get some cool, you know, emails and comments and stuff. So thank you guys. Thank you. That's all, that, all, basically, all I want to say is thank you uh, to everyone who supports this project. Uh, you guys are absolutely amazing. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I am going to transition. Uh, we're going to hear the presentation and, uh, and then I'll have some closing thoughts at the very end. Nothing major. Uh, to wrap this episode up. All right, guys, let's do it. So there was my generation. There was a generation just above us who were already about, you know, 15, 16. From, from memory, from where I can remember these things becoming important for me, I was probably around eight or nine. The older generation was about 15, 16. And then there was the kids be behind us. And as the older generation that was just ahead of us moved into the 18-ish age group, they began to disappear. And it wasn't because they were moving. It's because they were leaving church. And then my generation came along. And so we were, we were the new generation, right? All the other ones were gone, and now it was us. And by the time we hit 18, the vast majority of us were gone as well. And then years later, when I went back to visit New Jersey, that generation that was just behind us, they were the ones who were, who were coming up. And I went back to the church, and I was looking forward to seeing these kids who were now about 18 years old as well, and none of them were there. In a church with close to 100 young people, I can count in one hand how many of us are still left. So I have a big passion for young people and for creating a church that not only has young people, but that empowers young people to follow Jesus. I want to share with you guys some statistics about where we are in the world today. So you can see this isn't just a, a personal subjective experience, but this is, this is serious. Over 60% of young adults who attend church in their teens will become spiritually disengaged at some point during their 20s. This has come out of Barna Research. 52% of Australians, 13 to 18 years old, identify themselves as nuns. That is, no spiritual or religious beliefs whatsoever. 
About 35% of surveyed Adventist youth responded negatively or indifferently to the statement, I will be an Adventist 10 years from now. About 36% of surveyed Adventist youth reported they did not feel like they belonged at church. 33% did not feel that they could be themselves at church. 47% indicated that their church was an exclusive club. And nearly 60% reported that while they used to be involved in church, they didn't fit in anymore. So statistically speaking, not contextually speaking, but statistically speaking, about half of the young people or more that you see in church today will be gone in just a few years. Now this is serious. This is serious enough to make us pause and think, okay, what are we going to do about this? Because whenever we're confronted with a reality like this, we have a series of options that immediately arise before us. Obviously, we can ignore the problem. Or we can explain it away. Or we can get real and go on the painful journey of discovering how we can make a difference. I want you to open your Bibles to Psalms chapter 144. Psalms chapter 144. There's a little verse tucked away in chapters 144 of Psalms, and it's verse 12. And I want to read this verse with you guys because I believe that this verse should be the vision that Vic Park Seventh-day Adventist Church has for its youth. And here is what it says, Psalms 144, verse 12. May our sons in their youth be like plants full-grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. See, we have a choice as a local church. When we look at these statistics and when we see the reality of what young people are facing today and how many young people are leaving church, we have a choice. We can ignore that. We can explain it away. We can say, forget it. It doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. Or we can say, no, this is what we want for our young people. And let's work to make that a reality. Father in heaven, as uh, we explored this morning, Lord, my prayer is that your Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us here. May the Vic Park Seventh-day Adventist Church embrace that poetic vision that the King David had. That poetic vision of seeing our young people grow to be strong and precious in your kingdom. Lord, as we look at the statistics, and not just the statistics, but many of us here can even think to a very real experience as in what we've seen so many young people walk away from church. May we in turn say, not here, not us. May we become a place where youth are empowered to follow Jesus. Is my prayer. Amen. Amen. Now, I want to dig into this a little bit more this morning. I'm taking a break from my reg regular schedule to explore this 
because this is a conversation that's been going on for quite a long time. And the way most people approach the conversation of youth in church is they ask, what are the reasons that they leave? And I'm sure you've seen the books and I'm sure you've seen the articles and I'm sure you've heard the sermons. Here are the reasons why young people leave. But recently, there was a group of researchers who decided to go at it a little bit different. And they said, instead of asking, why do young people leave? How about we find churches where young people are still there and they're active and they're building God's kingdom. And we ask, why did they stay? Which I think is a much better question. And so these researchers spent time researching churches where young people are engaged and they're building God's kingdom and they're being discipled and they're discipling others. And they approach these churches with that one question. Why have your young people stayed? And they looked for commonalities among all of these churches and they, they put together this book called Growing Young. Why do they stay is the basic premise of this book. If you're into youth ministry, if you're into reaching out to young people, I really recommend it. But I'm going to give you a summary of what it talks about here this morning. But here's what I want to do. Before I give you what they found, I want to show you what they didn't find. There are 10 things that they said, if your church is not doing these, it doesn't matter. None of these things have anything to do with whether your, your young people stay or leave. So here they are. I'm going to fly, fly through them really quickly. Number one, a precise size. So that's kind of small, but basically what it says is they didn't find any connection between how small a church uh, was and whether young people stay. So if your church is small, sometimes people think, oh, bigger churches keep young people. Nah, no connection. They found no connection. Uh, a trendy location or region, again, no connection whatsoever. If your church is in the middle of the city or is in the middle of the bush, doesn't matter. They found no connection. Uh, an exact age. Younger churches that have just started, there's this myth that if it's a young church and it's just started, it's going to retain youth better than churches that have been around for 100 years. Again, they found no relationship whatsoever. A popular denomination makes no difference. All right? You don't have to apologize for being an Adventist. That makes no difference in whether young people stay or leave. Um, an off-the-charts cool quotient. I'm sure you guys have heard this. The church has to be cool to keep its young people. They found no relationship. In fact, what they found is that for young people today, relational warmth is the new cool. That's what they value. They also found no relationship between a big modern building and young people staying. And this is good news because Big Park Church is kind of old. It's not a big modern building. It's, it's been renoed, so it's prettier in here. But um, there was no statistical relationship. For teenagers and young adults, feeling at home transcends any building. All right. So that's good news for us. A big budget, again, they found no relationship. Churches that don't have as much resources get a little bit more creative, and they keep their young people. Um, a contemporary worship service, no connection whatsoever. Um, it's, there's young people who like it, and that's okay, but there's no correlation between that and young people staying. In fact, some research that looked at the top 10 reasons why young people leave this did, not, this did not even make it into the top 15. It's just not important for them. Not as important as we've made it out to be. A watered-down teaching style. For young people today, growing young doesn't mean we talk less about Jesus and the cost of following him. They found no relationship between keeping your youth and watering down the message of Scripture. And a hyper-entertaining ministry program. 
Also, no relationship between the two. Faith communities offer something different. And that's what young people are looking for. You don't need to compete with Netflix or Disneyland. All right. So these are 10 things that they said, look, out of all our research on the churches that are really keeping their young people and they're vibrant and they're building God's kingdom, they're discipling others and they're excited to follow Jesus and, and, and their retention rate's really high, none of these emerged as the reasons why. And so then the question is, well, what did emerge as the reasons why? And I want to look at some of those this morning as we look to capture that vision that King David had. So why do they stay? There's six reasons that they found. I'm going to try and go through these quickly. But if you want to like explore more, get the book. It's good. You get it at the ABC. You tell them my name. I get a cut. So, you know, it's, um, I'm just kidding. I don't get a cut. Um, but the six simple reasons that they found why young people stay. And before I share these six, re these six reasons with you, I have to be very, very clear. If you look at these six, these six reasons and you think, oh, those are really great, great presentation, Pastor. Can't wait for you to implement them. It's not going to happen. What I share with you, I share it with you this morning, and, I, and I'll explain why more toward the end when I talk about my experience growing up in church. But I share it with you because you are the ones who have to make this a reality. You are the ones who have to look at these six keys and say, okay, what can I do to make this real in young people's lives? All right? Number one. This is the number one thing that they found among the churches that retain their youth. They call it keychain leadership. Now, what in the world do they mean by that? What they found was that almost 80% of young people interviewed said that leadership in their church had an impact on them staying in church. Now, what they mean by keychain leadership is that depending on where you go, there's different types of leaders in different types of churches. And so they explore those different types. I'll point out three. The first is what they called the key hoarders. And the key is a metaphor for authority, for involvement, for having a voice. So the first one they said is the key hoarding church. This is the church where the leaders hoard all of the influence to themselves. And when young people put up their hands to serve, no. Then there's the key tossing leaders. These are the leaders who are so tired of leading that when young people put up their hands to lead, they're like, here, take it. I don't want it anymore. And there's no training. There's no mentoring. What they found was that among all the churches that retain their youth the most, there is a leadership team that not only hands over the keys, but that walks with the youth and trains them and equips them and mentors them and does life with them and invests in them. Now, I remember growing up in church, um, in my experience, um, a lot of the leaders in my church were, were what I would refer to, what the book would refer to as the key hoarders. We don't want to give anything over to the youth. We, you know, we don't trust them. We don't, we just don't want, we, we, we hold on to the authority. And, and so what it did in my local church is it created this perpetual us versus them environment where it was the adults over here and the youth over here. And we're at war with each other 24-7. But keychain leaders, they found, what keychain leaders do is they entrust young people to lead and contribute. 
And I'm thankful that not everyone in my church was like that. And I'm thankful this morning, I think it was probably 15 years ago, I can't remember the exact, I'll have to calculate it sometimes for a bit of accuracy, that I said, hey, I want to preach. And they opened that door for me. And they said, all right, all right Marcus, Friday night, you're going to preach. There was 200 people there, my first sermon. I was so nervous. You know when you get butterflies in your stomach? Mine were like in my throat. I was so nervous. But as I preached that night, that's when I heard the voice of God saying, Marcus, this is what I want you to do with the rest of your life. There were keychain leaders in my church that said, give this guy a chance. See, the key to keychain leadership is this. If you don't remember anything I've said here, remember this. You don't do ministry for the youth. You do ministry with them. That's keychain leadership. Many of our churches have created youth ministries that are no different to babysitting. We're babysitting the youth. But what they found is that churches that do ministry with the youth, that lead with them, that, that work with them, that mentor them, that, that have this symbiotic relationship of trust and openness, those young people have a much higher chance of staying in church. Keychain leadership, that's number one. The second one that they found was empathy. Empathy. Now, this is a big one. Instead of judging or criticizing, step into the shoes of this generation. Empathy. There's an old quote. I don't remember who said it. It goes something like this. If a man doesn't treat his wife right, I could care less for his Christianity. I say, if a church doesn't treat its youth right, I could care less about its doctrine. Empathy. Caring for our young people. It's important to be firm, but to also be gentle, understanding, and to have empathy for our young people. Let me give you guys a quick little um, um, glimpse of what life for young people is today, for those of you who are probably from, from the older generation. Um, this is kind of what life used to be like. Not exactly. There's always a bit of a generalization. But generally speaking, this is how life operated in previous generations. And so most people, they considered their life successful if it sort of followed this pathway. You went to high school, then you went to college, then you got a job, then you got married, then you had kids. And this was a general sort of gist of how life operated and your parents were sort of encouraging you this way and society was encouraging you this way. And whether you were a Christian or not, you know, people were generally on par with this is how your life should be. You know, this is how you should be unfolding and developing and, and advancing throughout your life. And so when you finish high school, make sure you do good in school so you can get into a good college, so you can get a good job, and then you can get married and provide for your kids. And, and then they go through the same process. This is what life was like in previous generations. But for today's young people, life is more like this. Which is why we need empathy. Which is why before 
I always say to people, before you criticize a young person, bring them over to your house for lunch. I think of some of our own young people here in, in Big Park who are far away from home with no family. Brothers and sisters far away, mom far away, dad far away, they're here, they're going to Curtin University, they're trying to get a degree, they're lonely. We need to have empathy for our youth. And when we fail to have empathy for our youth, when we fail to create a church environment where they can feel strengthened and empowered and prayed for and uplifted, we set them up for failure. This is why the Fuller Institute once noted that the church today is calibrated for a world that no longer exists. Because many of us operate and we do ministry and we do life still based on, on this model, like this is how people are living life, when really it just doesn't work that way anymore. Empathy for our young people. The third thing that they found, so the first one is keychain leadership. The second one is empathy. The third thing that they found was the message of Jesus. Again, we do not need to water down our message in order to attract the youth. This was key in their finding. We also have to avoid souring it up, though. Some people think the more sour you make the message, the more true it is. No, just preach what Jesus said. Don't make it worse. Don't make it easier, right? It's, it's the message that Jesus came to deliver. And what they have found, whoops, what did I just do? I think I turned the screen off. There we go. What they have found is that young people, they don't want to be controlled. They don't want to be manipulated. They don't want to be insulted with platitudes. But that doesn't mean they want a cheap religion. All of the research shows the opposite. In fact, it's not even, this isn't even simply true in the church sphere. If you look at the culture at large over the last 50 or 60 years, and you look at some of the most significant social movements that have taken place, the Freedom Riders, Occupy Wall Street, Black Lives Matter, the Arab Springs, all you fled. What happened to the Freedom Riders? They were beaten, they were imprisoned. What happened to Occupy Wall Street? They were amazed. They spent weeks and weeks living in tents in snow. What happens in, with the Black Lives Matter movement? The same thing. The Arab Spring, the same thing. Young people being in prison, being beaten, being killed, left, right, and center. And yet they're flocking to these movements. I don't know who got the idea that you got to make it easier for them. That you got to water it down. What they're searching for is significance, meaning, purpose. Not easy. And so I want to encourage the Vic Park Church to stay committed to the message of Jesus. I know that's one of our, one of the things that we love here is the message of Jesus, Scripture. And I want to encourage you guys to stay on that road because it doesn't scare young people away. Don't believe the hype. If anything, it attracts them more. Here's the next one. If I can get this to work. <clears throat> I have plenty of battery, but it's just not. If you could just go to the next slide. I don't know why it's not um, why it's not working. <clears throat> yep, it's not working. I'll just have you um, hit it for me, Rebecca. 
Warm relationships was number four. Can you go to the next one? This was key. Instead of focusing on cool worship programs, aim for warm, peer, and intergenerational friendships. This was the key that they found in their research. You don't have to try and be cool. You do have to be authentic. You don't have to try and be hip. You do have to be warm. Warm friendships. Not just peer friendships. Because sometimes we think, oh, the youth, yeah, they have plenty of friends. Well, the research found that it's not just their peers. It's the older generation as well. When young people are in a church environment where they feel warmth and friendship from the older generation, we call this intergenerational relationship, right? Different generations mixing together. When that is taking place, it creates a platform of safety and strength for our young people. It's not just about saying, hey, the church is all about youth. No, it's about all of us. It's about the older generation caring and mentoring and loving. It's about the younger generation reciprocating that. It's about this beautiful relationship between the two. And when that is taking place, the research has found that more and more young people stay connected to churches like that. If you can go to the next one, only 12%, it says only 12% of young people mentioned that music was effective. That's a really small percent, only 12%. But the majority spoke about church being like a family. In fact, the number one thing, because I read the book a few months ago, the number one thing that kept popping up throughout the book, why do young people stay, was the, ver the word family. Over and over again. Churches that are old, churches that have no money, churches that have, you know, an organ from... A uh, hundred years ago, that's out of tune. Didn't matter. The church is like a family. That's what they valued. Intergeneration relationships. We can go to the next one. I'm going to go to um, number five. Number five, prioritize everywhere. Instead of giving lip service to how much young people matter, look for creative ways to tangibly support resource and involve them in all facets of your congregation. This was key prioritizing young people everywhere. And here's the thing. Like I said at the beginning, you can look at these and say, oh, great, Pastor, can't wait for you to implement it. Or you can even think, hey, we, maybe we create a committee to, to make this stuff happen. But what they found was not that the churches that did this had committees committed to making this stuff happen. It was just part of the DNA. It was just part of the culture. Do you know how we prioritize youth in our church? It's not by having a committee that makes sure that youth are being prioritized. It's by each of us individually saying, I'm going to love them. It's about each of us individually saying, I'm not going to leave the, 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 the prioritization of the youth to some program. We got to get out of this program mindset. It's not about programs. It's about people. And making the decision ourselves. I'm going to prioritize our young people. I'm going to care for our young people. I'm going to invite them out to eat. I'm going to provide for them if they need prayer. I'm going to pray for them if they need prayer. Prioritizing young people. You can go to the next one. Don't put them through extra scrutiny or make them jump through extra hoops. I've seen this happen over and over again in churches where you know, everybody can come with, a, with an item to the business meeting or the board meeting and it gets voted right away. The youth show up and all of a sudden there's a giant list of extra hoops they have to jump through. Don't do that. Support them. They're not your enemy. They're not to be feared. 
You're to be loved. Ellen White wrote a letter years ago to, um, I believe it was Elder Haskell, who was working with the youth, and she gave some great advice to him. You can find this in um, Manuscript Release, Volume 6. If you can go to the next slide. She says, don't be afraid to let them know. She's speaking of the youth. She's speaking to Elder Haskell about his youth. Don't be afraid to let them know that you love them. Next one. The youth should not feel that they are under an eye that is watching them ready to reprove and condemn. Approve wherever you can. Smile wherever you can. It's a culture that says to them, we love you, we care about you, and we value you, even if you never use those words. I'm going to go to the last one. Number six thing that they found in churches that are retaining their youth is what they call being best neighbors. Now, what does it mean by this? This is the last one, number six. If you go to the next one, this is what it means. Instead of condemning the world outside your walls, enable young people to neighbor well locally and globally. In other words, enable young people to serve their communities. Enable young people to reach out and be an agent of change in their neighborhood. I had a friend of mine recently who put up a status on Twitter. I thought it was really interesting. He said, uh, instead of asking where your church is going to be in 10 years, which we did when we did our strategy session here. We, oh, where are we going to be in 10 years? He said, don't ask that question. Instead, ask this question. And I thought it was very interesting. He said, where is your community going to be in 10 years because your church is there? I said, well, I wish I would have read that Twitter status before we had our meetings. But it's brilliant. Because what they have found, if you go to the next one, what they have found is that young people have a huge desire to help with social justice. Over 60% of young people said that the service trips and the local service initiatives contributed to their faith journey. It's about being involved in something meaningful. It's about being involved in something that makes a difference in this world. And what they found is that churches that prioritize being a center of influence in their community and not just a club that gathers on the weekend to sing songs and hear sermons, those churches retain the most youth. Because they're not just talking, they're doing. They're not just singing amongst themselves, they're singing in the way they live through their community. People who are broken, people who are lost, people who are in need are being served. And when young people see that, it does something to their faith journey that strengthens them. If you can go to the next one, I, th- I don't remember who said this, but this is, you know, you can just go back, yeah. Don't curse the darkness, light a candle. I don't remember who said that. Somebody said it, and it's pretty cool. If we become the kind of church that says, look, let's light a candle in the darkness. Let's serve our community. And there's ways in which we're doing that already, and we're looking for more ways in which we can do it. This is the kind of thing where young people connect and they say, yes, this is meaningful. So here's a summary of what they found. Keychain leadership, working together, doing ministry with our youth instead of just for them. Empathy, understanding them, listening to them, getting to understand their world and what it is they're dealing with instead of interpreting it based on our own experience. Jesus' message, being taken very seriously, the call to discipleship that Jesus gave us. Don't water it down. Warm relationships, prioritizing youth. That includes families, by the way. I just don't have time to go into that. 
and being best neighbors. Those six things they said, after all of their research into all the churches that are keeping their young people, those are the six things that they're all doing. And when you look at it, you think, you know, that's not, that's not too dramatic. There wasn't some secret formula. There wasn't some secret music style. There wasn't some secret dress code. It was these six simple things. And when you implement them, it empowers and encourages your youth to follow Jesus. I love youth. I'm still young myself. I'm 33, but I... Counts. Counts. Um, I love youth for many different reasons. I love them because I believe in them. I love them because they bring a vibrancy and a beauty to church that wouldn't be there without them. I love them because they have expectation and enthusiasm and vision. And I love them because I grew up in a church that didn't value them. And they took the beautiful gifts that they had out into the world. When it, if the church had embraced them, just as we've looked at here, these six simple things, what a mighty work they would have done for God's kingdom. But like I said, there's more to my story as a young person in church than just the negative that I experienced. There was a bad culture in the church that I grew up in, yes. But there were also a few people who were different. There was a handful of people who didn't follow the status quo. I want to introduce you to some of them this morning. Here on the left-hand side is one of our Pathfinder leaders. His name was Enoch Okendo. I won't ask you to say it. Enoch Okendo. This lady here, Elizabeth Torres, she didn't have a role in church. She was just a church grandma. There was no nominating committee. She was a church grandma. And this guy here is one of our elders, Leslie Lenore. Now, it wasn't just them. There were a few others. Enoch was a keychain leader. Enoch was a guy who had empathy. Enoch was someone who believed in me. And so even in the midst of a, of a negative church culture, this guy came along and started to lead the youth. And he caught some of us because he believed in us. He caught some of us because he sat down and listened to us. He didn't judge us. He didn't attack us. He just, he just listened. And he shared. And we did life together. Elizabeth, I was at her house every Saturday night. Every Saturday night we went over there and we hung out and we ate food and we played games. 
I think for about five or six years straight, every Saturday night, I was at Elizabeth's house. She's my second mom. I call her my second mom. Everybody in New Jersey knows Elizabeth's my second mom. Now, Elizabeth was an older lady, had lots of health problems, was not wealthy. But man, she was warm. Every Saturday night, her house was open. We'd come over, we'd hang out. Her husband was a bit of a grouch, but we loved him too. Ray the grouch. He was just he was the same. Let him come on over. Leslie, one of our elders at our church as well. He was he was an interesting character because you know he was obviously an older guy, but in New Jersey. There's this, I don't know about here in Perth, because I didn't grow up here in Perth, but in New Jersey, the youth have certain handshakes. It's part of the culture. And the guy knew all of them. I don't know how he knew them, but he knew all the handshakes. And we'd go down the street, when we, whenever we'd go out into the street into, uh, to, to, to go door to door, we would see him. He would walk up to the gangsters in the street corner. He knew their handshakes. And we looked at him and was like, wow, this guy's. How does he know their handshakes? We never knew. But the thing about Leslie that we loved was the same thing. He just opened his house. He just believed in us. When, uh, when, we, when we left home, when we left New Jersey, some of us went to university, some of us went and joined the army. He stayed in touch with us. How are you guys doing? What's happening? And here's the thing. I'm not here today because I'm hyper-spiritual. Because I'm not. I've told you guys before, (laughs) I am not hyper-spiritual at all. It takes effort for me to read my Bible and pray. It doesn't come naturally. I'm not here because I'm religiously inclined. Because I'm not. I'm here because people believed in me. I'm here because there was a generation of older people in my church who believed in me. I'm standing on the pulpit of the Vic Park Seventh-day Adventist Church because someone believed in me. Because someone said, you know what, Marcos, we know you're crazy. And we know you've been running around the streets acting a fool in Newark, New Jersey, with all these gangsters and all this crazy stuff going on. But you know what? You want to serve God? Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to open a door for you. We're not going to say, no, 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 not that guy. Leave him out of it. No, we're going to open a door for you. Come on over. Come on. Come serve God. Come taste and see how good he is. And as they opened that door and as they mentored and they served, and and my life began to change because they believed, because they cared, and because they nurtured me. And you know what I believe, church? I believe that someday... The young people that you see today, if time moves at the pace in which I'm anticipating it might, 
Some of the young people that you see here today will stand before courts and councils. They will stand for Christ. They will stand for truth. And they will do it because they are standing on the shoulders of those who invested in them. Not because they are individually so strong. None of us are. But because the Vic Park SDA Church said, you know what? We're going to create an environment where they can grow. We're going to create an environment where they know that they are valued. And where they can be empowered to follow Jesus. Satan, Ellen White says, let me see if this works, yep, has an abundance of alluring temptations to charm and captivate the youth. But then she gives a solution. I find the solution really interesting. This is what she says about the solution. If Christians would bring more pleasantness into their lives, they would make religion and truth a power for good. Now, I want you to catch what she's insinuating. She's insinuating that religion and truth are not a power for good because Christians do not live pleasant lives. And so she's given us the solution. She's like, look, Satan has an abundance of distractions for our youth. But if we would live pleasant lives, we would make truth a power for good. And then she continues. This is in the same letter to Elder Haskell. Speaking of the church, speaking of us, of Christians, they need more of the spirit that pervades heaven before their own religious life will be as a sweet perfume and before they can exert a proper influence over the faulty, erring youth who, notwithstanding all their faults, have a depth of love and affection if it could only be called forth by love and affection. And she ends with these words. I had to make this a separate slide because it was just too cool. She ends with these words. Oh, that we could be more like Christ and not repulse, but attract. Well, there you have it, guys. I hope that you found that inspiring. Like, I hope it, it, it did something, you know, because like I said, what I share in this sermon is um, most of it, it comes from the book Growing Young. But more than that, it was uh, it was really brought to life by Alina. So shout out Alina um, again and Martin. Totally going to have these guys on the podcast uh, soon. I want to interview them. They're absolutely amazing. And I think you guys will really love, uh, we'll talk about youth ministry, right? We'll talk a little bit more about these things and, and banter back and forth. So that'll be, that'll be be a lot of fun. But anyways, listen guys, once again, I cannot emphasize enough, get yourself the book Growing Young, read it. I know, look, there's tons and tons of books about church and church culture and, you know, even I have books, you know, on my website. It's like, oh, which one do you read? Which one do you start with? Um, yeah, you know, honestly, I don't know. You just pick the one that the Lord leads you to <laughs> pick and they're all, they all have something to offer. Um, so, uh, but I really highly recommend this one, especially if your local church is looking for a way to, in, in, you know, do something meaningful with its young people. Definitely check this one out. Okay, guys, I'm going to wrap this up. I'll catch you next week. Until then, my prayer is that you would redesign your local Adventist church for mission. Take care and God bless. <laughs>